This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Fiona Palmer, welcome to Better Reading. Thanks, Cheryl. Thanks for having me. Now, I'm finding myself shouting because I know that you're in remote Western Australia, 350 kilometres from Perth, Pingaring, and for some reason I think that I have to shout that you can, so you can hear me, but <laughs> I don't think that's the case. Is that right? Yeah, no, it's not too bad. Um, the, the internet uh, signal, you know, mobile reception is a bit dodgy at times, but other than that, you don't, yeah, I can still hear you. It's all good. All right, well, let me introduce you. Before becoming an author, Fiona Palmer was a speedway driver for seven years and now spends her days writing both women's fiction and young adult, working as a farmhand and caring for her two children in the tiny rural community of Pingaring, which we just said is 350 kilometres from Perth. The books Fiona's passionate readers know and love contain engaging storylines, emotions and hearty characters. So welcome to the show. I've been trying to talk to you for years and I was thinking the other day, have we ever recorded a podcast? I don't think so. I think we've done a Facebook Live, haven't we? Yeah, and I've been, I've come for a visit a few times, I think. Yes, you have. Oh, gosh, we miss our office because we're all working from home at the moment. And do you know what we miss the most about the office is we miss authors visiting. Yeah, oh, it's a it's a time that I enjoy as well. You know, I get to get out of the country and go and see the sights and the rest of the world. So yeah, so. yeah, and well, you won't be doing that this time, will you? No, I'm lucky. I still get to travel a bit around WA, and I've had a few events down at lovely Bustleton and Bunbury, and up in Perth and down Albany and Bramah. So I've been very lucky over here, but I did miss out on coming over east, and it's a shame. So hopefully next year. Yeah, hopefully. Gosh, who knows what next year's going to look like. Anyway, Fiona's got a new book. It's called Tiny White Lies, and we're going to talk about that shortly. But firstly, I want to start because I don't think I knew that you were a speedway driver. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Firstly, I don't even know what that is. Is it a car or is it a bike? Or Tell me about it. Yeah, the speedway, um, it's, I race what they call street stops. So it's it's the bottom of the run, supposed to be the cheapest because, you know, money's short in these times. So I race an EL Ford Falcon. They've got to be over 20 years old. And they have a roll cage and a five-point harness and um, no windows. And you, we race around a circular dirt track, street stocks. We get to race both ways. So our suspension's limited because we've got to be able to go both directions of the track, whereas all the other divisions only race one way. Right. How long is that track? How many kilometres is it? Um, I'm actually not sure. Uh, I think we get up to about 90 k's um, driving around there. And I think a lap, a really good quick lap's done in 19 seconds. So um, nearly nearly 20 seconds for our division. Um, But yeah, it's good fun. I, it's, 
a family thing. My granddad used to race uh, the old TQs and uh, my dad and his brothers all raced. And so I grew up on the, the stories of, you know, the old days and um, being out in the country, you know, I was in a go-kart at the age of three and in a car when I could touch the pedals. So our childhood was spent driving around in cars. My dad used to teach me how to do donuts and reverse spin. So I was just addicted to driving anything, be it a truck, a tractor or a car. Um, and, yeah, jumping into Speedway was, was one of my childhood dreams and I got to do it right up until I was pregnant with my daughter. Wow. And then I stopped. So I've had a break for 16 years and the kids both got into racing and uh, about two years ago I got back into it just so I could race with my dad and, yeah, my kids. It's wonderful. Uh, do you want me to tell you an urban car story <laughs> versus a country <laughs> car story? I was, I don't know, 16 and nine months, I think, when I got my licence and I went out and bought a car. But I got my licence driving an automatic and I didn't notice what the car was, whether it was automatic or manual, it's a Datsun 180 or something. Anyway, yeah. as it turns out, it was a manual of which I had no idea how to drive, but I'd already given the guy a check and I just couldn't drive away from his house because I didn't know how to start up the car. Anyway, he came back, he saw me struggling, came in, came back, jumped in the car and showed me the gears and said, off you go. And I remember yeah. driving in second all the way home. <laughs> Oh, that's cool. I had a 180B. Yeah. It was my first car too. Do you remember? Mine was orange. Um, yes, it was mine. <laughs> was yours orange? Yes. Yeah, there you go. Um, uh, it was funny. Well, I've been driving a manual ever since, which are actually hard to get now. <laughs> you might know that most cars are automatic. Anyway, off cars, because it really isn't an, an area that I'm hugely passionate about. Tell me, coming to terms with the fact that a girl well, a young young woman in uh, in rural Perth. How is it that you came to writing? Tell me about growing. Where did you grow up? And, you know, was there a love of reading or a love of writing at an early age? Tell me how it came to be. Um, I grew up in Pingaring, so I went to primary school here, which our primary school closed down in 98 because there just wasn't enough kids. There's probably only about 20 to 30 in the whole school when I was there. So I went away to boarding school for year eight to um, year 11, because I left after year 11, I was itching to get home and work. And I did many jobs from rousing to driving tractors and uh, got a, went to college in Perth. I actually went back to Perth for a bit and did um, secretarial skills. So I actually learned to touch type, which is, you know, who knew how important that would be. Do you know, Fiona, I've got to say, I've got very, very few regrets in life. You know, I can, you know, I could probably only list one and that's not being able to touch type. Such a great skill. Especially when everything's just, you know, on computers these days. So that that was great. I think everything set me up in life to be an author, but I just didn't know it back then. So I came home and I worked as a CEO secretary uh, for about three years at the Shire until I decided um, I'd had enough of putting up with rate complaints and thought there had to be a better job. So I went and worked as a teacher's aide and among various other jobs until I had my daughter. And um, then my mum and I went into partnership and took on the local shop the general store here and I had, you know, a baby and a toddler. So life was pretty full on and I didn't have time to read. I didn't really have time to do anything. Mm -hmm. So I used to pick up a story while I was cleaning or whatnot. It was my escape. 
So I'd go go into my head and just start imagining these scenes and built up these characters. And I guess growing up, you know, I've watched a lot of movies and if I didn't like the ending, I'd rewrite it in my mind. And I did enjoy reading growing up. Daniel Steele um, was all mum had on the bookshelf. So I remember reading Summer's End when I was 11. <laughs> so <laughs> that probably spurred on my love of romance. But, yeah, this story just kept growing until I thought, if I don't write this down, my head's going to explode. So I opened up Word and just started typing it out. Uh, and, a, and that took three years between kids and work and busy life. I finally got it down and mum read it and a few other friends read it and said, oh, it was really, really good. I should should get it published. And I have no idea. How do you, you know, I'm in the middle of the country. How do you get a book published? So I Googled how to publish a book and come across uh, the Australian Society of Authors and they were running a mentorship competition. And if you won, you got 20 hours free to work with a published author. And I was, I think 200 entered and I was one of the lucky winners. Um, They said my uh, voices are engaging and from there I got to work uh, with the author who showed me how to set out my manuscript because I had no idea um, that needed you know, double spacing and indenting and all the bits. And it was about that time my auntie sent me down Rachel Treasure's Gillaroo and she said, you need to read this. It's just like your book. And I did and I absolutely loved that story. And I just thought there needs to be more books like this because, you know, that was my life, being in the country and the uniqueness of it. And I saw she was published by Penguin and that her agent, uh, her publisher was uh, Ali Watts. So I thought, mm, oh, I might see if they're interested. So I wrote them a letter and put in the first three chapters and sent it off, which is a big no-no because you're supposed to have an agent before you can even approach Absolutely. the publisher. Yeah. But I thought, what can they do? They're either going to read it or throw it in the bin. I had nothing to lose. And as it was, a few weeks later, I had an email from someone at Penguin saying that my manuscript had found its way to Ali's desk and could I send the rest of the book? So I emailed it off and then a few weeks later I had an email from Ali Watts herself saying she'd read it and she'd loved it and she was just waiting to see what the publishing house thought. And then my next email from Ali was an offer of contract. So I just ended up, I don't know, I was still in disbelief really that I kind of fell into uh, being an author Um but now I can't imagine life any any other way. And 16 books later, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So at that time when you wrote, what was the first book called? The Family Farm. The Family Farm, okay. And that's pretty descriptive, <laughs> right? Um, did you, Were you aware that at the time a genre had been developing called, you know, rural fiction or rural romance? Not is at it that point. I no. think... Uh, yeah, Fleur MacDonald and I both came out with our very first rural books and I don't recall there being any rural books that I knew of besides um, Rachel Treasure but sort of before then and then as you move forward through the years, it, it really built, built up momentum and I, I think by my eighth rule, there were so many rural books out there that had really become a massive, much sought after genre. And why do you think that is? Because it, is, it has been. I know it's on the decline now, but I think at the time it was so popular, um, city people wanted to read rural fiction. Why do you think that is? It was, you know, a lot of people have, have discussed this and we think it's, um, it's very 
romantic. You know, there's a very romantic view with being out in the country. I mean, look at Farmer Wants a Wife. You know, it's everyone loves that and it's the romance and it's the sunsets and the sunrises and the magic of it all, I guess. And I get it's also very different from city living. You know, we're a bit of a lure onto ourselves out here and uh, do things a little bit differently. So. Mm, but it's not always romantic. I mean, it's hard work as well, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yeah. There's a lot of hardships and, you know, the, old, the battling it out. And the old Aussie battler, you know, is something everyone sort of loves and um, you really still see a lot of that out here. Mm. So then you wrote um, genre fiction, let's, uh, rural, uh, and then you moved to more commercial fiction, didn't you? Yeah, I got to a point after the eighth book, you know, I was feeling a bit like um, I'd read so many rules, I was writing so many rules that it didn't feel like I could come up with anything new. I felt mm. like every time I went to write something, I felt like I'd either read it or written it before. And then Rachel Johns had called me up and said, oh, let's go on a boat cruise together. It'd be great, you know, book fodder. And from that moment on, I started writing Secrets Between Friends and I ha- we hadn't even got on the boat yet and already the idea had morphed and then I switched over to, yeah, I guess like Rach calls it life lit and um, there's just so much more to write about. Do you know, I really like the um, the friendships between writers um, in Western Australia. I remember uh, a few years back I, I was in Perth and thought, you know, I should get com- a couple of the authors together and meet them. And I thought, you know, maybe four or five people might show up and I contacted Rachel Johns. She helped me do that and she's fantastic like that. And, you know, I think 30 people showed up, 30 writers. And what was really heartwarming for me is they all knew each other and they all supported each other. Yeah, very lucky. I think the Romance Writers Association have brought a lot of us together. That's where I met Rachel many, many moons ago, my very first probably um, RWA conference after my first book was published and I got my first sale ribbon. And a lot of those friends are still with me now. Being isolated out here, you know, there's not many writers uh, nearby that I can go and chat to. So having a lifeline with Rachel and Anthea, they really help. You know, it's very daunting getting structural edits and you just feel like crying and doubting yourself as an author. But, you know, they pick you up and uh, help you through it. I, You know, there's been moments where I was unsure whether I could keep writing and those two Why? went away. On a, oh, it, I don't know. It's funny, isn't it? We're very fickle uh, authors, yeah. I think. You know, you see, you see a bad review, you just kind of lose confidence, the sales aren't good, you're scared your publisher might drop you. You know, those, all those things mm. go through your mind. And I just was like, oh, I don't know if I've got any more ideas. And you start self-doubt's a horrible thing. Mm. Anyway, we went away on a writer's retreat and those two girls just were amazing. Having the, the creativity there and they, they get it, they understand what's needed to write a book and three heads were just, you know, better than one. And uh, my next book is being dedicated to them both because oh, you know, they really helped me through a rough patch and invaluable. And, you know, it is so great to have authors supporting each other. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Talk to me about writing young adult fiction. Yeah, that, um, I mean, it's not, doesn't feel like a stretch for me because I love reading YA. Some of my favourite books are YA or fantasy, like Sarah J Mass, absolutely love her. And this one came about more from a friend I knew and his story. And I just, I really wanted him to tell his story, but he was too busy. So I said, well, can I write it? And I told him my idea and he fully supported me. He gave me heaps of information. Um, So I got to write this story about Jazz, um, 17, nearly 18-year-old who gets recruited into a secret agency in Perth. And, you know, they're taking down drug dealers and, all the fun stuff. So it's a romance, action, um, sort of spy series and, yeah, had an absolute ball writing. It's still one of my favourites and it's my mum's favourite out of all my books. Well, I mean, I know a lot of young people, well, you know, people in their 20s and people in their 30s that really only strictly read YA. So it is a genre that has really a wide span in terms of readership, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, there is no real age limit uh, on it. and. Uh, it's the only only book of uh, my daughter's read of mine. <laughs> so I said, "Do you need to read Tiny White Lies? It's dedicated to you." And she's like, "Oh, maybe one day." <laughs> one day. I remember Michael Robotham um, telling me a story. I was travelling with him back in the day, and uh, he was telling me a story of when he gave his book to his mother, who's a voracious reader. You know, just loves reading. And yeah. the next time he saw her, he said, "Oh, you know, Mum, what do you think?" And she's like, "Oh, did you want me to read it now?" <laughs> He's like, yeah, and it was on her stack of books. You know, she was trying to get to it, but it wasn't quite there. Uh, and I always thought that was very funny. Now, in terms of living on the land, I mean, you, you've got a job and you work on the as a farmer, really. Tell me what your normal day, like in terms of farming, that what, how does that look? How, how what does a normal day look like? It depends on the time of the year. Farming is very much seasonal. So a while back we uh, went through seeding. So get up early, get out to the tractor. Um, I do checks and get the tractor going uh, and just seed all day long till I've got to fill up um, with seed and fertiliser and then just keep going. You know, that could be a 13, 14-hour day and you go home, eat, sleep and do it all again solid for however long until seeding's finished. Could be three weeks, could be four. And so in that time I can't think of anything do any book work. I do listen to a lot of audio books during seeding and harvest, mm. perfect time when you're sitting on um, the header or the tractor. And I'll also think about my next book um, just to help plot ideas. Then after seeding, I get to, you know, uh, I'll probably only go to work maybe two days a week, three days a week, um, maybe no, no time at all because I've been busy with uh, like um, this book coming out. So I spent all last week in Perth. Uh, and my bosses are really great like that, very flexible. Sometimes I'll do a day's work and I'll come home and I'll have dinner 
and then I come to the computer and in two hours I can knock out 2,000 words. When there's days I'm at home for the whole day to write and I can barely write 800 words. So I think the busier I am, the more, I guess, organised I am as well. You know, I get stuff done. If I've got like a whole week of writing, I will procrastinate like, no, tomorrow. I guess it's like that for anybody. What do they say? You know, if you give a job to a busy person, it's most likely to be done. So talk to me about the book, Tiny White Lies. Yeah, it's, of course, I um, dedicated to my two children, teenagers, and my daughter's 17 and my son's 15. And, you know, them going away to boarding school in year seven um, is hard enough. But then you've got to, you know, give them mobile phones so they can stay in contact and, There's a lot of uh, issues with that. You know, you're worrying about bullying, pornography, you know, all sorts of things. And my son, he loves his PlayStation and spends far too much time on it. And we never had that growing up. So it's something strange. And I knew I wanted to write a book about that and about those feelings and about how the family take them to a coastal retreat where there's no internet and the kids just have to go back to basics you know, like my childhood where you got bored and then you figured out something to do. And so that's where the idea came from. Yeah, that's it. And then from there I worked out okay, I needed the two families. So I've got Ash and Nikki who are friends and they met uh, when their daughters started school together. So their daughters were quite close but then grew apart, as you can do in school, like slightly different. And Ash has just she lost her husband eight months ago. So she's dealing with that, with his suicide and... Her daughter, um, you know, sort of tiptoeing around each other and she's trying to give her space. And, and then Ash has just lost her job as well, but she doesn't want to tell him and, and have her worry, even though she's worrying because she doesn't know where she's going to get the money from to keep going. And then there's Nikki, her friend, who's got her own issues and her kids are just as bad on the technology. So they decide to, let's plan this retreat. We'll go to Bremer Bay. But turns out the parents needed that time as well, you know, because uh, Nikki and Ash have probably been telling each other and themselves little tiny white lies. You know, it's kind of drifted them apart, I suppose, but they all learn to reconnect out in the bush. Mm. It's not that you're writing um, rural fiction. Um, You know, we're calling it here uh, commercial or life fiction, if you like. But there is still, it is your world. So there is still elements of rural in in the book, isn't there? Because that's what you do and that's what you know. Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, Matters of the Heart was set back in the rural community as well. And this one, Tiny White Lies, I've set it in Bremer Bay, which is where I go every January with my kids to, you know, that's our uh, technology detox time. We go on holiday, we sit by fires, we play board games, we go surfing and full driving. And, um, you know, I don't see my kids walking around with their phones in their hand at all. And it's just magnificent. So, you know, I love to write that into the book as well as, you know, it helps showcase what we've got here in WA. There's so many beautiful spots and I love being able to share that. Mm. So tell me your experience of being on tour. I know that you said WA hasn't been affected, but, you know, largely to, to promote this book or to let people know that live out of Western Australia that the book is out during a pandemic. How have you found that, the challenges of that? It's been a little bit harder especially because our internet's not so great. So doing any Zoom meetings or Skype, it's been a bit of a struggle, but it has its pluses because I can do it 
in my pajamas or you know there's always, <laughs> there's always a, a silver lining to everything um, but I have been a lot more proactive in the online part of the marketing so it's slightly different but again I think I've enjoyed not having so much driving to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's been some real pluses. I mean, of course, there's been lots of challenges and it's been a very hard time for many, many people. But, you know, if you bring it back to yourself, it really is a change of life that you can either go with or you can push back on. And I think many of us have had that challenge and, you know, we've decided to go with it. I want to know, do you think that the coronavirus, I mean, how has it affected? I can't imagine it's probably not affected rural life that much, has it? No, not overly. We had maybe a week where everything was sort of shut down. They're saying stay home and, you know, they're crazy with all the toilet paper going and all those things. Oh, you had all of that? Yeah, we had that in WA. It was crazy and we had a lot of city people coming out to the country towns to buy all the toilet paper and stuff and then the locals being left with nothing and it was a crazy, crazy couple of weeks. But then once it settled down and they realised, you know, there wasn't much of it here in WA, things sort of got back to normal pretty quick. And especially out in the country, you're sort of like, well, we're a long way from the city. Um, We know we're okay out here. And so life sort of, um, yeah, continued on as normal. Because really it's a very small population. How many people did you say lived in Pangari? We've got four houses in town. Yeah. If you go to the wider area, all the farms, um, there might be 30. Yeah. 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 So you would pretty much know if people were coming and going in terms of coronavirus, you would. Yes, definitely. Yeah. We everyone knows what everyone's doing, so we know who's been where and who's (laughs) been on what holiday. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, what's happening. Do you think that the pandemic will affect writing and writers? Um, I don't know. A lot of people have asked, Are you gonna write about the pandemic in a book? And it's like, Oh, not me. (laughs) I think I think we're living it enough as it is. You don't want to read about it, but uh, it has, yeah, I don't think it's really altered, not, not me personally anyway. Mm. I've spoken to a lot of writers who have told me that their lives haven't changed that much, that they, were, they feel as though they've already always been in isolation. Do you feel that? Yeah, that's it. It's, um, I, don't, I don't think it really, I think about it until um, being in the city, but Perth's uh, we're pretty lucky in WA, so I sort of was driving around as if it was everything was normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. I'm I'm wondering what the literary world will present after this and what we might be reading in the future. Anyway, Fiona, we're going to let you go. It's just been such a pleasure chatting with you today. I promise at some point I'm going to come out and visit you because I'm so interested in the property and I want to watch you do that speedway driving. Well, Cheryl, you're welcome anytime. I'll put you up and there's plenty of sights to see, Wave Rock and um, the Tin Horse Highway plus, yeah, uh, Yeah. lots of fun. Well, I will look forward to that. Um, Fiona, I can't thank you for your time and your patience because you have been very patient with the technology with me especially. So thank you very much and thank you for speaking with us today. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Cheryl. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. 
We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.